Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Danielle. I'm Paul-Emile. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. Today's case is taking us to New Brunswick in the 1930s. We're going to be discussing the notorious Bannister family. It's weird to be recording face-to-face. There it is. So hopefully the audio quality will be a little bit better. The story starts in 1936 in the area of Pacific Junction in New Brunswick. Do you want to explain where that is? Pacific Junction is out towards Salisbury Way, yeah. between Salisbury and, and Moncton. On the morning of January 6th, a man named Otto Blakeney was out chopping some firewood. Around lunchtime, he decided to stop over at the lake's house to have lunch with the residents there that were his friends, according to malefactorregister.com. The lake's family consisted of Phil and Bertha Lake, their 20-month-old son, Jackie, and their four-month-old daughter, Betty. The Lake family were not well off, living in a little house that was described as a shanty. When Otto got to the house, he could immediately see that some sort of tragic event took place. Their house had been destroyed by a fire. There was nothing left but a chimney. The whole scene was covered by a layer of snow from an overnight snowfall. He found his friend Phil dead and severely burned in the snow. He turned him over to see bullet wounds in his skull. He didn't stick around any longer and made his way over to a nearby CNR station to call the Mounties from Moncton. So I'm assuming, I mean, it's not like that's a very populated area now, so I'm assuming back then there probably wouldn't have been any close neighbors if the house burned down and no one saw it right now there's a few uh, industrial buildings that are there but back then it was just a, a trail i'd say with a few houses here and there and the main track that goes from moncton new brunswick heading towards northern new brunswick runs through that area mm-hmm. so there's no train station there now but it would have been a stopping place back in the 30s An officer came down from Moncton, and his first concern was finding Mrs. Lake and the children. It didn't take long for the officer to locate the body of Bertha and Jackie, nearly a quarter mile away. Mrs. Lake had been killed by a blow to the head, and little Jackie had frozen to death. But there was no sign of the baby. The policeman began to believe her body probably had burned down in the house, according to an article from the Halifax Herald um, from 1936. Because of the snowfall, there weren't many clues to be found, but luckily a thaw was just around the corner, and when it came, they actually found frozen footprints in the snow. When those footprints were followed, they led to a lost mitten left in the snow. This mitten was linked to Daniel Bannister, who was a neighbor to the lakes. He apparently readily admitted that this was his mitten. Pretty good uh, investigation, just the same for the 1930s, to find the footprints in the mitten. I think they kind of lucked out. Yeah. Because 
it must have thawed and then frozen shortly after before it snowed so it preserved the footprints i don't know how that would hold up now though like how would you actually prove those footprints were from the night or the day of the fire but now they'd have dna to work with for the mitten mm. that's true they'd have other things they could turn towards the banisters were another poor family from the area their household consisted of the mother may her two sons, Daniel, 20, and Arthur, 19, as well as her two daughters, Frances, 15, and Mary, 13. The family made their living by selling blueberries, hunting, trapping, as well as selling firewood. And it seems like most families in the area sort of had a similar lifestyle. The police questioned the Bannister family, and the group alibied each other, saying that they never talked to the lakes that night, uh, the night of the fire, because they'd actually seen Phil Lake arguing with two strangers. So I'm a little unclear on exactly what they said, like that they were by the house and saw him arguing. I'm not exactly sure what. Or the they were setting up an alibi. Oh, they were setting up an to alibi. Identify somebody else being responsible. I guess I just don't really understand what their story was. Like they were walking by the house and saw this. They heard this. Like. I'm not sure. It wouldn't have been a very high traffic area. No, and actually that's kind of what the police immediately clung on to because they said, okay, if this family's saying that they saw two strangers, someone's going to know who these people are. There's never anyone but the residents here. The theory w was pretty quickly discarded that these strangers were responsible for it. So apparently there were two strangers in the area, but they were quickly identified. They had airtight alibis as well, so they couldn't have possibly burnt the house down and killed the family but as a ploy against the banisters they actually brought the two men in for a lineup so they brought the banister brothers in and i believe francis was there as well and asked them to id the men that were at the lake's house the only men in the lineup were the two strangers which i don't think that's how a lineup is usually done but the Bannister family quickly identified those two men, said, yes, it was them, they did it. So the police sort of knew that their story, because the, these people's alibis were airtight, the story wasn't true. They um, sent an officer over to the Bannister's house, so when they left the police station and returned to their house, they were immediately arrested. A gun was found in the house, matching the caliber of the gun used to shoot Phil Lake. And even more interesting... A four-month-old baby was found in the house. And they didn't have a baby. Well, it depends who you talk to. So apparently residents of the area had called the police or gotten in contact with the police and said, there is suddenly a baby in this house following this tragic event. This should be looked into. But May Bannister, the mother, explained that the baby's name was uh, Thyra, and she was delivered at home, so she had no birth certificate, and she was May's baby. But it would have been a normal process to have a home delivery back then. Absolutely. However, my understanding is that no one had seen her pregnant either, which is a little bit of a problem. And the no birth certificate, and even if you had a home delivery, I think most of the time you would end up getting a certi birth certificate for your baby, though I'm sure it didn't happen all of the time. Anyway, her story's a little fishy. The officers had a really hard time imagining a motive for kidnapping the lake baby. The banisters were poor, and another mouth to feed didn't seem like a good idea, so why had they done this? 
They also found another suspicious thing in the house, which is what they refer to as a mama doll. I think they mean like a lifelike doll that would say mama. Okay, like a, like a mannequin? Or an actual store-bought doll that an said mama? An actual store-bought doll that said mama, like a toy. And pretty high-tech for the 30s. But the mechanism to make the doll talk had been removed. So again, weird. They, they're kind of scratching their head about this. And again, this is a poor family. They don't have any really kids of the age to play with a baby doll like that. So it's just strange. The officers start speaking to people who knew Mae Bannister. Several testify to seeing her around town, pushing a baby in a carriage, but they admit that they never got a good look at this baby. They finally happen upon two men who knew May quite well, and from there a motive for murder, which is pretty twisted, emerges. So these two men in May's life were both paying her a stipend for some housekeeping and other benefits on the side. So no judgment on May for that, I mean she was doing what she had to do to get by, but in order to make some more money off of these men, it seemed that she'd plotted a scheme. I found a few different accounts of what she'd done exactly. According to the Chicago Tribune, May accused one of the men of impregnating her youngest daughter, for which he claimed innocence. He'd never had relations with her, apparently. In another account, she told both of the men that she was pregnant with their child. So she'd separately told both of them that she was pregnant, the baby was theirs. But it was really hard to make that story believable if she didn't produce a child. So essentially she wanted them to pay child support. The police believe this is where the doll came into play. She was parading up and down the street, pushing the doll all wrapped up in blankets in the carriage and walked by their place of business so they could see her with the carriage. So she's setting up... uh prior to kidnapping the other baby she's setting up her story like if she had had the baby for a while i don't even know if she had kidnapping in mind at this point i almost feel like her scheme started with i'm going to tell them i'm pregnant they're going to pay me more money and then all of a sudden realizing that she had to come up with a baby so her next step was to get the doll but then the men wanted to actually spend time with the baby that was theirs and then she ran into a problem because if they were close to the doll, obviously see that it was a doll. So when they ask for more direct contact with the child, she decided to kidnap the lake's baby. Again, it's not 100% clear to me what exactly went down, but it seems that she enlisted her sons to kidnap Betty. Her daughter Frances would turn on everyone, so she turned state's evidence, and she's the one who gave the story of what had happened. And she said that the boys had showed up at the lake's house and killed Phil, chased after Bertha, who ran off with Jackie, and they essentially bludgeoned her and left Jackie in the snow, then took little Betty to their mother. Now, it has to be said that the boys um, had intellectual disabilities. It was said that their intelligence was about the level of a 12-year-old. A big debate was their level of responsibility in this because they were doing it for their mother and even i think the community at large when they were when the case was brought to the courts really felt like maybe society as a whole had sort of dropped the ball on helping the brothers they hadn't had a good life Um, they lived in poverty they didn't get any help 
there was more than likely different forms of abuse going on in that household. So I think there was a little bit of embarrassment as a society about how they'd been treated. But they lived on the outskirts of town and there were no social services like they are now to offer help. The family would have had nowhere to turn to. Funny you should say that because one of um, the men that May was dealing with was, I don't think it was a social worker, but he worked in social services, which I think makes him responsible to a larger degree for some of the stuff that happened. It almost sounds like he's taking advantage of the situation Mm -hmm. because he's a social worker and may have known about the family, but just seen it as an opportunity to to use them to his benefit. Exactly. The boys were sentenced to hang for their crimes, and May was sentenced to three and a half years in jail. So again, there was a lot of debate whether or not they actually should be hanged for what they did, and a lot of people actually felt like the brunt of the responsibility should be on the mother, even if she's not the one that pulled the trigger. I'm not sure we have a clear picture of actually what happened in that house, Um, Because at one point, if you read some of the sources, they talk about how one one of the brothers anyway, I think it was Daniel, said that he didn't even know what they were going over to the lake's house to do. He just went with his sister. He was following his sister. There's not a lot of information about the girls, uh, the Bannister girls. I think the youngest of the boys had a retrial. Yes, so what happened... The they I think if I remember correctly because I don't have this written down I think the the judge had like misdirected the jury so he did have a retrial but it didn't change the verdict at the end. I think their intention with the retrial was just to have the the hanging uh, changed to life in prison mm-hmm. because of the intellectual disability. But at the end, uh, the the uh, the same verdict stuck. Yeah, and. I don't even know if the boys understood that they were going to die because a lot, like it's said in one of the articles that even as the gallows were being constructed, they had a healthy appetite, they were in good spirits. I'm not sure they understood the finality of what was about to happen. And depending on what kind of life they had at home, uh, the, the time they spent in jail, they were getting three square meals a day and may have looked at it as a better situation than what they had come out of. That's very true. Many people were actually very unsettled by the death sentence. Already said May should be the one to pay the higher price, but even the people who had objections, nothing ever came of it. And in September of 1936, they were hanged for their crimes. It was the first double execution in Canada since 1924, according to the Journal of History of the Atlantic Region. Despite this case raising the discussion about the morality of killing the two brothers with their special needs, once it was done, no one seemed to press the matter and nobody seemed overly upset about it. I think maybe because the crime was so violent, they just felt like someone had to be punished. And also they said they were very brave when they were hanged, so it almost made people feel better about it. But again, I'm not sure they understood the finality of it. And they were hung back to back. Yeah. And I think the youngest, when the trap door opened, said that he was innocent. But, yeah, I don't know. Again, I don't think we actually really know what happened, what went down for the crime to happen. Obviously, I didn't mention that, but baby Betty had been ID'd by people who knew the family that it was her. So do we know what happened with the baby? 
I think she went to live with relatives. May spent her three and a half years in prison. I think she was in the Kingston pen. I believe so. And then she returned to her house and was essentially feared by everyone until she passed away. Actually, uh, my old buddy that passed away last year used to go that way to go hunting and fishing and picked up a lady that was hitchhiking on the side of the road. And when she got in, he recognized who it was. It was Mrs. Bannister. Oh, no. And he was terrified until they got to wherever she lived. And she said, okay, I'll get off here. But he told me that story several times. Oh, that's... I guess it's not funny, but it's a little funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I, I find it strange when someone from such a small place will commit a crime but then return. I guess you don't have anywhere else to go at that point. If you have no money, you're poor. Whatever support she had from the community that's where she had had it so in your mind you think you're going to go back and you know maybe people knew the family well enough to be able to look beyond the crime and realize that they were dealing with somebody that may have not been as intellectually capable of caring for herself and being responsible for what she did yeah yeah it does seem like no one liked her and they feared her um but i mean that might not be the truth and Maybe she was used to that as well. Maybe she'd been sort of ostracized by the community for a really long time. And just in reading a little bit about the abuse that was going on, I'm sure the word was around the small community and they purposely avoided them. Yeah. Didn't want to have anything to do with that family. It's unfortunate at the same time, and I think that's something that did come up where a family had to live through that. And it still happens. It still happens where, you know, Things are kept quiet. People turn a blind eye. And it's just at what point do you actually get involved with things like that when you see them happening? It's amazing how you're, she was able to convince them to commit this crime, such a serious offense, and you try and find somebody to help you paint your deck. <laughs> and you're going to have a hard time convincing two friends to help you, and here they're committing a kidnapping and a murder or a triple murder. I guess if they'd always lived with their mother, which they had, and she was the matriarch she's the one who told them what to do she'd always kept them safe before this even if she was abusive towards them to them that's all they knew you did what mom said and you just did it without a question and they were probably scared to death of her more than likely you do this or i'm going to do it to you so yeah and again it's just not clear what they thought was going to happen when they went over to the house because one of them said that he didn't know what the plan was he was just following along so part of me wonders if the older sister was more involved than what we've heard about as well and told them once they were there maybe told them to do it or if the mother was actually with them as well like she sets herself she distanced herself from that scene and says it was them, but she may very well have been quite present in telling them exactly what to do. And that's like the other unfortunate thing. I mean, that was another family that was just getting by. They were just surviving and just had another baby. Probably that was a happy time for them. And the little nothing that they had and their lives were snuffed out in a moment. I, I don't know how people survived up in that area because it's not farmland it's woodland yeah so there were no big farms there were some a little bit further along but so it had to have been a constant struggle just to put food on the table yeah 
It sounds like most of them were hunting and trapping and then selling some firewood and some furs and things like that. But it's not a lifestyle that we can understand. No, and I think the general population's lifestyle was somewhat changing. Yeah, you need wood, but people that were buying furs to make jackets and things like that back then couldn't have been too plentiful. No. So that's the story of the notorious Bannister family. That's interesting, and it's what nigh almost 90 years ago and almost in our backyard it's yeah not far from here we go by there regularly and, and there's no sign of anything indicating that there was a family that had gone through that tragedy there there may be that it's in the woods now i don't know but yeah i i mean there's nothing that i found online indicating there was so it's just a memory to some people probably less and less people because it happened so long ago and not talked about like some other cases where there's spooks and ghosts and things like that involved. Yeah. Where people continue and keep adding to the story. But this, it almost like it died with them. Yeah, I think it came back a little bit. So I think one of the buildings from like the old Dorchester Penitentiary area was sold. And someone made an Airbnb out of it. Yeah, that's a provincial jail. They may have been held there. Yeah, so I think there's a little talk like it, on the internet about the fact that they were held, the brothers were held there. It was a, a, a provincial jail, but at one point might have been part of Dorchester Penitentiary. But uh, so there's a little, like you can find a little information on it because of that. But other than that, there's not a whole lot. Like there's a few articles that people have written that link to old newspaper articles. I mean... It went far. The Chicago Tribune had an article in the 30s about it. So this, that's back in a day where information didn't travel like it does today, and it made its way all the way to Chicago. On, on a telegram. Yeah. Or a telegraph line. But there may have been some uh, American connection because a lot of families in this area had family in the U.S. So Very Maybe possible. that's why they picked up on it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all for tonight. Do you have a moment of kindness to talk about? It's been a few weeks since I've actually done one. No, I... No. No? I will have one, I guess. I do have a few. Um, I've recently had to work, and that's why I'm in New Brunswick, I've had to work at a different store than I normally work at to help out a little bit. And just the, the welcome that I've gotten there um, from all the people I've been working with. They've been very kind, very helpful. Um, it's been a delight to work there with them. So the kindness they've extended me has been very nice. I mean, I wouldn't expect to go in there to help out and people not be nice, but I think they've gone above and beyond to make me feel welcome, and that's been quite enjoyable. Well, that's good. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because of who you're connected to. Are you talking about yourself? <laughs> yeah. mm, no, I don't think so. So that's all for tonight. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. I hope you have a good night and stay safe out there. Stay safe. <laughs>